Good afternoon. My name is Zachary Schulman. We're at the Brooklyn Public Library by Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn. Today is July 15th, 2016, and this is an interview as part of Brooklyn Queens Land Trust's Our Gardens, Our Stories project. And I'm here with... I'm Patty Hagen, um, and I am one of the coordinators at the St. Mark's Avenue Prospect Heights Community Garden at 207 St. Mark's Avenue near near Vanderbilt, between Carlton and Vanderbilt. And it's one of the oldest community gardens in the city. It's about 40 years old. Excellent. And? Ah, and uh, I am Samantha Feldman, and I am a new uh, intern. And I'm probably one of the <laughs> oldest people you are interviewing. I'll be 73 in two months. So. Excellent. I've been around. <laughs> <laughs> I did not ask the ages of the other of the oh. other interviewees. I bet I'm the oldest. <laughs> Maybe we can find out. So you brought some uh, some wonderful photos of the garden, um, right. and we're going to try and um, document those and some share those mm-hmm. in some way. Um, but for folks who may not be able to see them, can you describe a little bit about, you know, what someone might see or observe as they approach the garden and as they enter this space? The way it is now? Yeah, they, oh, the way it gosh. is currently. Um, well, the way it is now, we have three outside beds, outside the fans. Um, and every year we try and get smarter in how we do um, protective gardening, or it, it, it's really, really a, tro- a problem on the sidewalks, on the streets of New York, um, to keep vandalism down. Um, so one of the things we've um, discovered is plant lots of thorny roses. They work really well. We have um, the little rose, the fairy growing all over the place at this point, and that does quite a good job. Um, I've also thought about transplanting stinging nettles from my backyard. Um, Haven't done that yet, but it, um, anyway, when you walk down from, if you're walking west from Vanderbilt Avenue, um, you see the first uh, bed, which is outside Zaytun's uh, restaurant. And people think Zaytunes keeps it up because there are flowers on both sides. But there's a big Budleia butterfly bush, and it's usually covered right now with Budleias. And and then there are daylilies all along the edge. And then um, a kind of mint that I got uh, from... Um, this eminent domain fight up in um, New London. Um, and this mint, I brought a little bit back when this house got moved instead of destroyed. And um, it's now just taken over. The bees love it. It's blooming right now, very aromatic. So that's planted there. And then I've worked in columbines and... Um, Malva zebrina, uh, mallow, the striped pink flowers, and um, cannas, and they've stayed through the winter, and they are blooming right now, red, 
bright red mm-hmm. cannas. Anyway, just I just keep uh, rotating in catnip, nepta, um, and um, trying to make. We have oak leaf hydrangeas, um, black eyed susans, um, blackberries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, Kelly Carpa Japonica. Um, anyway, we have all these plants, and then at either side of the entry gate are these big planters, and it, they we used to have uh, pine trees, two exquisite Japanese pine trees that we rescued off the roof of a condo in Soho. It was clogging their drains. These were on their roof. And so I hired a guy in a truck, and it took all day to rescue these pine trees. And we had them for about 10 years, and then a something, a blight got them. I don't know if it was woolly adelgid. I don't know if that attacks pines. But anyway, they're gone. And then last year, before Bruce Ratner and his Chinese communist uh, Shanghai government partners uh, started 550 Vanderbilt Avenue at Dean Street. They had, around this huge parking lot that had been there for a number of years, they had planted shrubs. So he kindly said that people in the neighborhood could come dig things. So uh, last, I I guess it was November, October, I went and dug two big holly trees. I mean, there are about four feet, five feet tall and large. Um, Now, digging them was not easy because they had been planted in soil that approximated concrete. I had used pickaxe and and all. And it took me two hours to unearth each of these um, plants. Anyway, they're in these pots now. And they're, um, they're doing well. And they bloomed this year. And we have green holly berries now. But... Last weekend, I went to water, and somebody, it was the 4th of July, I guess it was a week ago, um, somebody had, it looks like, vandalized one of the trees. There were all these dead leaves, and so I examined them, and it looked like some hot wax thing had been sprayed over them. And it's just stuff like that that keeps happening. Um, I came in one day recently and it was obvious somebody had hopped the little fence and in the middle bed and mowed down all the plants that were there including the cannas that were getting ready and so I mentioned it to the guys at Zaytoons and just said you know what what happened here did you see anything well it turns out some guy had hopped over there climbed over the wall and tried to um, steal whatever he could from their basement. um, Fortunately, they had locked the basement door, but they had provisions uh, stored on the sides of the stairs. And so he took, I don't know, about 10 boxes of big garbage bags and sponges. Um, And (laughs) so that was that. Um, and it's just whenever, because I usually drop in every day just to check on things, 
I can notice when any leaf is gone, let alone a plant smashed, and it just fills me with such rage because, like, the monardas have started blooming, and right a few days after they started, the ones closest to the fence outside they tuned, somebody started picking them off. You know, why? Why do you do that? And if you put up a sign, that's like more encouragement. And, you know, so what do you do? Um, I feel like putting um, bamboo stakes in or something, you know, and or barbed wire around the plant. I don't know. It's just constantly so that one of the things I've discovered is the best way where you're on the street is to plant things that are not recognizable florist plants like Queen Anne's lace, like um, mullein, um, the the wild verbascum, um, and the prickly stuff like um, trifoliate orange, Ponsiris trifoliata, um, and that does work to a certain extent. Except I have in front of my house, I have Ponsiris trifoliata, and last summer I was out gardening and this young woman came along and said, oh, what is that? The, the oranges were forming. I said, well, those are oranges. They're very pithy, but... And when I turned around, she started picking them. You know, you know, why did she do that? Anyway, um, it's, you know, sometimes people do dig up plants and just cart them off. And so that's a constant battle. But anyway, that's what you see. And once the, the um, Trust for Public Land purchased us, we got this big fence that it, before that, we had a chain-link fence with big holes in it, and it was just open sesame. Um, people would come in, teenagers especially, and vandalize, break the furniture and break plants. And um, Once we got this really good iron fence, it um, has made a huge difference. And so you see that, and... We've got vines, we've got tansy blooming through it right now, and um, clematis grows over it, roses, um, wisteria, which never blooms, just grows and grows and grows. Um, and so it's quite nice looking, actually. And then you look in, and then... Um, when I first joined the garden, which was in the 19, early 1980 around, um, we decided to design the so it's a, a round walkway and then another one over here and then a path back to the, the rear. And then we had earth landfill stuff dumped in the middle of the both circles. And um, that has served us really well, um, you know, as a, a way of navigating the garden and um, having quiet, hidden places. And then we have a path on the 
next to the Church of God Victory, um, there's a little path and a little quiet place where you can sit. And then the main path goes back and there's a little sitting place that I've planted a lot of saxifrage and um, um, persicaria, what is it? Um, it's a knotweed kind of a plant. Um, and roses and stuff that the BBG gives us every spring after the plant sale. Mm. It's so great because um, I know what the plants that are there and they're not showy, you know, so we've come away with some really fantastic stuff. Um, but anyway, and then the path goes all the way back. And over the years, um, like when the telephone company came and took up all the bluestone and put it in a dumpster, we immediately started hauling it out of the dumpster, back out of the dumpster. Then I mean, this went on for days and stockpiling it in the garden. And that's what we've used to make our paths. And then um, another time, um, the city, somebody decided to take up all the Belgian bread loaves, the cobblestones that were in the tree pits on Vanderbilt Avenue. So again, we got out our wheelbarrow and we brought all those in and those make now the little walls uh, that surround um, the, the garden beds inside the garden. And they're, they're terrific for that. Um, except when little children come in, they want to walk on top of them. And, oh, and this is a funny thing. Recently, there are people with these bigger and bigger baby prams, you know. Mm. And, and so I happen to be up in the front of the garden recently, and one of these young mothers came in with her Cadillac-sized pram, <laughs> and she's trying to ram it down the path, but it was too wide. And when that happens... It dislodges the Belgian bread loaves, and it also breaks all the flowers that are growing there. So I said, "Excuse me, um, could you just leave your leave your uh, pram here?" And she looked at me. And she said, "This is a thousand dollar baby buggy. I'm, I I can't just leave it here. I mean, somebody might take it. This is a thousand dollars." And she decided to leave, you know, and I would like to put up a sign saying, you know, not negotiable by baby buggies or something, <laughs> $1,000 baby buggies. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing the, the, the kind of proprietarial feeling that some of these people have about their possessions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I was going to ask you... Um, you, know, you talked about getting involved with the garden um, around 1980. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. What was the garden like at the time? <laughs> well, um, it was mostly a lot of weeds. We, we weren't gardening on the sides at all um, or in the front uh, right-hand area as you face north. Um, we were just basically... Um, trying to get it in shape to make rectangular beds um, to get some clean fill in to... I mean, it was very primitive, have to say. Um, 
we didn't start building the rectangular beds until, I don't know, it was in the early 80s, I would say. And before that, it was just, um, we were trying to do composting, and we just had a big heap in the back. And um, we didn't really know exactly what we were doing <laughs> as far as getting the composition of the compost right and um, aerating it frequently. And so sometimes we would get a really smelly thing. And also we had no water source. And so we, until the Trust for Public Land put in our water system, which Zach took care of, thank God, um, we had about ten of those Greek uh, plastic olive jars, um, um, bins, I guess you'd call them. And we had five lengths of hose, and we had to snake the hose all the way down, well, quarter of the way down the block, connect it to a fire hydrant. We had a wrench and all that. And, and then fill all the, the barrels. And that usually took a couple of hours. I mean, it was really labor intensive. And then we would have to scoop the, uh, it out with hand watering, you know, buckets, which I prefer hand watering to this day because I just think it makes you pay more attention to the plants. Um, and it, I think it saves the water because you water very deliberately um, and, and you really stare at the plants. Mm -hmm. But I am in the definite minority. All these people want to have spray guns and, you know, just go like that and say, oh, I've watered it. And <laughs> I hardly looked at the plants. The other day I just had a fit. One of the gardeners is a philosophy professor. Mm -hmm. And he really loves gardening, and he was in, and the guy with the other half of his plot hadn't been around, and there were some morning glories growing up in there. Um, and so he said, I was doing something else. He said, is it okay if I just pull the morning glories? And I said, sure. But before that, I had already commented, look at his soybeans. You know, he's got beans coming. So I finish doing what I'm doing, and I come back. He's yanked out the soybean plants. And I said, what the heck are you doing? He said, well, aren't those morning glories? I said, look at the leaves. You know, bean leaves are tripartite. They're three parts. Look at this. And now look at morning glories. They're heart-shaped little big heart-shaped leaf. And he said, oh, but the little ones, they're two. And I said, you know, yeah, there's dimorphism for the first two. They come out, but look at the third leaf. See? It's a little heart. Really? And he still didn't have it. So then I showed him some other beans that had the same leaf structure. But isn't that interesting? I mean, this is... So anyway, I got him to replant the soybeans, I hope they're going to be fine, but I just can't imagine being a gardener and not actually looking at the form of the plants. 
So a lot of teaching goes on, even of college professors. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting. And so you mentioned, you know, you you got involved, and was the garden a garden at the point when you when you were first involved? Well, yes, but I mean, we had this ramshackle mm-hmm. fence that was full of holes, and. Um, we were doing what? Hold on. Um, well, it was again. very primitive. For instance, we didn't have the three dedicated outside beds. There were, there was just soil outside, and there was the bluestone sidewalk, which uh-huh. was there. And so we just decided to plant stuff in the soil outside this ramshackle fence. Um, And I thought it worked pretty well. Then when the phone company decided to come in and put in this installation underground and and all, um, they decided to get rid of all the, the bluestone. And for their wrecking our garden outside, we demanded that they build us these beds with like railroad ties on the outside. That was our demand, and at first they weren't going to do it, but anyway, they they finally did. And um, so then that, of course, has its problems too. You remember the rat thing? Mm -hmm. The rats decided to take up residence right outside the Zaytun's wall, and it was outside Zaytun's. It was one of these beds that we take care of, but it's not on our property, in fact. And so there was a whole colony uh, that (laughs) installed itself under there, and then it moved into the other bed um, outside Zaytun's also, which is right next to this dumpster that belongs to the building that they've never done anything about it. Um, keeping it closed or keeping lids on the garbage. Anyway, but yes, it was very primitive, and I would think to a lot of eyes it didn't exactly look like a garden uh, back in the 80s, Um, but we were trying. We were doing what we could, and people were giving us things like um, we have a big pine tree at the back, um, and that was a guy in the neighborhood. It was not happy. It was getting too shaded where he lived. Well, what we didn't understand back in those days that were all these little saplings that were coming up the back of the garden, we didn't pay any attention to them. And they turned out to be like four stories tall at this point, and they're paper mulberries. They're, mo- they're really, they grow like aspens. They're like one organism that just spreads horizontally and comes up everywhere and also seeds in um, if it doesn't grow by the root system. And so this pine tree was doing fine until this paper mulberry right to one side, to the east side, got really huge two of them actually, and then the the pine tree started going this way, going south, headed into the sun, and 
started going over some of the, the gardening beds. And about four years ago, we spent a lot of money to get the main uh, tree down. And now <laughs> the pine tree is just growing straight up. It's very happy. It's so interesting to watch how the plants respond to just, you know, a change in environment. Um, but now we've got to try and get some of the owners over the fences to take these uh, paper mulberries down. And, I mean, we're even offering to pay for some of them because um, they're going to come down in a hurricane if if we don't get them down. It's already happened. I mean, in Hurricane Sandy, the big catalpa tree in my backyard just went over two neighbors' uh, yards and fences, and it took six guys a whole day to get that cut up and down. And, and what, what, what motivated you to first get involved with the garden? Oh, because I've been gardening since I was a little kid. Um, when I was a little kid near Seattle, uh, Washington State, um, we had our house was on about three quarters of an acre, and and my mom was a gardener, and she was an original subscriber to Organic Gardening magazine, and so everything was organic. And because of the gardening, she let me keep a camp horse one winter. So for the manure and a donkey um, for the manure and um, then I got we my sister and brother and I we got to keep rabbits for the manure <laughs> and chickens we had bantam hens and roosters and um, dogs and cats and canaries and hamsters and <laughs> and my particular plot was the burial ground for dead hamsters and all. <laughs> we would send them off with um, proper Catholic rites. Um, and we also used my dad's christening gown to baptize our goats. We had Nubian kids and we were totally sacrilegious, but we had to study the Baltimore Catechism in school. We went to Catholic school for a while. And so, anyway, we would have these religious ceremonies involving our animals. And um, anyway, so my sister and brother and I each grew whatever we wanted. We had flowers and we had vegetables. And, and, and our mom was a great gardener, and she would take us to see friends. I can still remember some of the wonderful gardens that I got to visit as a 9, 10-year-old. Um, in around Seattle, um, just and we would go off to the woods and dig wild things. And mm -hmm. Mom had a whole wildflower. You know, wouldn't do that anymore. But um, we would. We just spent time, and I used to spend time in the woods all around our house. We lived by Lake Washington on the Bellevue side, and. Um, I used to go exploring with my friends or just by myself and look for wildflowers and plants and things, birds. And um, Now, where that was, it's all where Bill Gates bought 
the whole neighborhood practically took down all the forest, put up his fences, has guards at both ends, and that's right across the street from... I grew up in those woods that used to be there. Mm-hmm. It was much better that way. <laughs> and what 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 are the, the kind of the biggest changes that you've seen in the garden since you've been involved? This community garden? Yeah, yeah, St. Mark's. Uh, well, um, having... A good fence and having water inside has been a huge change. And um, I think one of the things that I've noticed as the neighborhood has changed, um, the block that the community garden is on, when I moved to St. Mark's Avenue in 1979, um, that was like a no man's land and so was Vanderbilt Avenue. You just didn't want to certainly walk around there after dark, but often during the daytime it was very sketchy. There was a <laughs> um, across the street where there's now the little cupcake bakery. Huh. Okay, well, the whole back extension of that for maybe 25 years or so had the sa- it looked like the same cabbages, you know, petrified cabbages <laughs> and squashes and potatoes in the window. And it was a numbers parlor and all kinds of drugs and things were going on. And all along there um, were, well, there's heavy drinking and heavy drugging. And just across the street, um, well, when in 19... 19- 1980, when I moved there, um, there were gun runners in one of the buildings. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe eight months after I had moved to 117 St. Mark's Avenue, I had two golden retrievers, and um, I had been running one night up in by Prospect Park, and we came back down Carlton Avenue, and at the corner there was a uh, bodega, Hispanic bodega, and um, really nice Dominican family. And um, as I came down, I was just crossing the street, and this there's this car pulled up outside it, and these two young black women, girls ran up and were sort of cowering and then this guy got out of the car with a gun and started shooting at them and my dog Thurber was terrified of 4th of July, the first 4th of July in my house, I was out in the garden and there was a kitchen the glass door and when the first firecrackers went off he jumped through the glass door, you know, cut himself up and spent the rest of the time in the bathtub. That was the coldest, darkest place he could find. And that ha- But anyway, it, it was... Um, so Thurber immediately just went down, and so we took cover behind some cars, and then I ran down to the 78th and said, <laughs> you need to get a cop car up here. Anyway, that that's what the neighborhood was like. And these guys were gun runners. They were running guns up from Georgia, Florida, that part of the world. And um, 
they lived right pretty much across the street from the community garden. Mm-hmm. And um, then there were crack houses, all during the crack epidemic in the 1980s, um, there were crack houses up and down the block. And um, people were getting broken in on, especially if you didn't have a dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with crowbars and, and stuff. And people were getting mugged a lot, um, sometimes with knife um, box cutters, you know, at your front door. Um, anyway, it was pretty rough um, back mm-hmm. in those days. And I remember a young uh, black woman who bought a house right across the street from the garden. And she was hassled so much by the the lowlifes at the numbers parlor <laughs> next door that was supposedly a store. Um, that she finally sold. And she was working in the Dinkins administration at one point, and she just sold and moved back to Manhattan because mm-hmm. she couldn't take it. And how did that... How did the environment around the garden affect the garden like itself? Life with you know, garden. Well, we the get, space. kept getting vandalized. Um, you know, people would break in, and anything that we had in there, um, like people would give us benches or something. Mm-hmm. They would break in and break the legs, break up the furniture, uh, or toss stuff in, um, and. It was um, it was just a constant battle, and we would try and we would invite the kids in and try and get them involved in the garden, and it worked with the younger kids. But once kids became teenagers, they preferred a gang sort of a gathering on the outside of the garden, and then just vandalizing what was growing outside, and when they would break in, vandalizing stuff that was inside, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's sometimes hard to talk to those kids, especially if you're a white uh, person. That I mean, some of the kids um, did join in and did help, but it was hard to get them um, involved. Um, but some of the early people were older black people who had come up from the South and who remembered um, gardening, growing up, and just wanted to be there, and mm-hmm. we just, or we just wanted a place where they could come and sit in a green place, and so, but it was pretty much a, a white um, newcomers to the neighborhood, uh, people who got the garden going and had the idea and mm-hmm. and really kept after it, and. We only have a, a, oh, a minute or so oh dear. left. Ah. So, so it's okay. I mean, um, do you have any kind of thoughts or questions or things you want to leave, you know, to people who are coming to the garden in the future? That, you know? Well, I mean, that what's happened, especially after at nine eleven, uh, we just kept the garden open. Um, for quite a lot, many days where people could come and just be there. And a lot of people did, just to be quiet and, you know. And we could see the buildings going down from my neighborhood, from 
the school underhill anyway i mean the world trade towers um but it seems to be just a really um much appreciated place for like one day i was gardening there and and we have these different sort of secluded sitting areas and um I noticed that there was a young mother uh, nursing her new baby and she was sitting there and I talked with her and she said, oh, she was visiting the neighborhood and she just needed a quiet place to nurse her baby and she had found it. And she left and not 10 minutes later, another new mother was sitting there <laughs> nursing her baby and there were three of them that afternoon. It was a weekend. And um, we... Well, one of the things is that a lot of the schools in the neighborhood, the pre-K and the K, are now, um, since maybe six, seven years ago, are gardening, teaching gardening, using the school. And the latest one is since last year, the Luria Montessori, the Luria Academy, which is a Jewish um, school just half a block away. And they had never, ever paid any attention except to come in and take school photographs in the garden, but never asking us if they could, just sort of wandering in and doing it. And then Tehila Eisenstadt became the head of the lower school. And she just wandered in one day. And what was really great was that um, she said, gee, it would be great if we could bring the kids to teach them here. And I said, sure. And she wanted to know if I would teach. And I said, well, why don't you go talk to the teacher from the Montessori Day School, who is Iman Rashid. She's Palestinian-American. Mm -hmm. And so I introduced Hila to Iman Rashid, and they exchange information and numbers, and they have kept in touch. And, you know, we've got the whole peace process going on <laughs> in the community garden. Mm -hmm. And PS9, the little kids also used to um, come in. But now the Montessori Day School has a whole bed that we made for them so that the kids can do that. And now day camp, summer camp kids, like the Luria kids were in yesterday, and they'll be in a couple more times this month. And But it's become a place that people just, um, like... Okay, the other day I was watering and, and a man came in and he has a, a steel drum uh, group. And he said, gee, this would be a wonderful place to come. And I said, well, great. You know, he gave me his card and so he's going to contact uh, back. And then this other guy, Shy, who wants to do some help. Mm -hmm. It's just our garden doesn't really need help at this point. I mean, the way a lot of gardens do. And and the, the thing, the big change is that now that our garden is really tended and going well, people walk in all the time and want to join the garden. Mm -hmm. Oh, but another, but we went through some years back in the 80s when it was really hard to get a quota of people to just look out for it. Um, the other thing is, all these gentrifiers, these people, many of them who are moving into the neighborhood, 
they just really want to compost. And they walk in and they're really serious about composting. And that's a huge change from the early days. And so we make really good compost. I mean, it's steaming hot. We've got a swizzle stick and it's good exercise, you know, mm -hmm. twist it. Occasionally a little baby rat pops up to the top, but you know, um, it's par for the course, really. But we have wonderful fireflies. We have praying mantises. Um, we have swallowtail butterflies and their eggs and their caterpillars. I mean, we have a lot of bird life. The catbirds are really funny. They're just all over the place. But um, it's really a, a really good place for the flora and the fauna mm -hmm. and the people. And now that there's this fancy, overpriced, oversweetened ice cream parlor, Ample Hills, on the corner <laughs> across the way, people walk in with their ice cream cones all the time and want a place to sit. And then people are waiting for Zaytun's food, and they come in and discover the garden. And I, I must say, a lot of Europeans are coming in saying, this is amazing. And Brazil, there was a young woman from Brazil uh, recently. But all these people walk in, and, and they're surprised that this exists, and then they're happy that it exists, and, and they think it's quite wonderful. And even some English gardeners have come and said, this is beautiful. This is, you know, this is quite beautiful. Um, and we, our newest area is the um, Lusala Fernery. One of our gardeners, our compost chief, uh, Matt Zabrowski, is um, a jazz musician. He's a drummer. And he used to play tour Europe with Lou Soloff. And so when he died last year, Matt was really torn up. And he said, why don't we make this shady area up here, the Lou Soloff Fernery? <laughs> and so it's now we've got a picture and... Um, we haven't had a formal dedication, but the ferns are really growing. We have about six different kinds of ferns, and and it's and a little slate bluestone uh, seat, and it's just a really quiet place that people seek refuge in. But I will tell you one thing that is not one. It's this quiet place up at the front of the garden, and yet I was watering the other day, and there were two people sitting there. They happen to be psychology students from Long Island University. And all of a sudden, this language, this, this horrible language, a city bench was installed. We don't know, we do now know, but the Department of Transportation wouldn't tell us who requested this right outside the gate. It's the gang hangout spot as soon as the weather turns warm. And these guys who were maybe 17, 18, 19, they hang out there from about three or four every afternoon until late at night, and they just own this city bench. And it's very threatening. It's they, they're smoking pot. They're talking the most awful language. You know, they, they go on and on about the fucking nigga this and the fucking nigga that. Sometimes they get in fights. Um, there have been gunshots exchanged out there. And um, the the people, these psychology people were just sort of astonished because they had taken refuge in this quiet place. 
and the 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 talk that, that these guys have just floats in and so one of my jobs is to write the Department of Transportation and demand that they unbolt that thing and put it somewhere else because mm -hmm. um, it's just it's bad karma mm -hmm. um, but anyway all right. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't think know we're, if I covered everything. <laughs> I think you covered a, a lot, and I think we're we're out of time for this oh, this session. Okay. But you know, I'm sure there are other times that we can we okay, can talk well, some more. So, thank you again. I mean, oh, I should say yeah, yeah, that back in the early days, one of our uh, gardeners was Anna Smith, who was a ex-convict. She had had a bad drug problem. She had grown up around. And um, she, she was really one of our early gardeners, a black woman, and um, really sort of helped connect to the neighborhood in the early days. Then, of course, her building got sold. It was right next to Zaytun's. Um, to, no, I guess it's the building Zaytun's is in the Black Veterans Association, and they immediately got rid of all the black folks living there and gentrified it up through the roof, and she had to move all the way over to Bushwick, practically. Um, but but I, I, I would just say the garden is and has been a place where you really get to know the neighborhood and the neighbors, and... Um, and it's it's you get to know and work with people you never probably otherwise would have gotten to know, and you know ex you exchange a lot of information and maybe become friends, and um, it's really good for the neighborhood. It's really it as you know the Green Girl is, and I'll say it's building community in the best sort of way. Unfortunately, some of the Gardens have become so nice that they've really upped the property values all the way around, and it becomes a selling point with these realtors. Oh, and there's this beautiful community garden. I mean, now on my street, you can't find a house that's under two and a half, three, four million dollars. Hmm. Now, when I came there, you know, 48,000 would get you a whole brownstone. Mm -hmm. But that was 37 years ago. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's been good and bad, you know, as far as doing ourselves in by making a beautiful garden. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. Anyway. Thank you. Thanks. There you are. <laughs>